I sometimes forget that this is a John Carpenter movie. It misses so many of sort of the Carpenter-esque characteristics that you find in, in the rest of his movies. So other than children, any adults who have not seen this movie? Oh, look at this. Welcome. Wow. I'm well, so excited to so watch this video. We're so excited for you. But it was just really cool seeing what I've heard so many people talk about for so long. Welcome back to Gateway Film Center, Columbus, Ohio. It is Fright Club Live. Yay. And what a fantastic crowd we have tonight. Man, this is great. Thank you all for coming out. This is, this is fantastic as we're showing the thing. We're talking about John Carpenter. This is going to be awesome. This, by the way, is Hope Madden. This is George Wolf. And I know we have a lot of newbies here tonight. Welcome. We, just, uh, we are from madwolf.com. If you don't know who we are, we're, we're longtime uh, Columbus film critics dating back to the other paper. Oh, my God. Back in the day. And then our own uh, website, madwolf.com, and now Columbus Underground, and Good Day Columbus as well. So, yep. uh, and we do this here, Fright Club Live, once a month at Gateway Film Center. We record this podcast, and we count down five, usually five, sometimes six, sometimes fuzzy math. Uh, of a certain kind of horror movie and then show one of those. So if this is your first time, welcome, and we hope you make it a, a monthly thing. And if you're interested, by the way, after, we have a few Fright Club buttons left, so help yourself when you come down after the movie. But, uh, yeah, this is exciting. I'm glad to have this crowd, glad to uh, watch a movie that I know is a favorite for a lot of us. And I already know from talking in happy hour, there are at least a few people here tonight that have not yet seen it. Which is crazy. It's great, though. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm judging you silently, but thanks for coming. Good for you for rectifying the situation today. I also want to thank Richard for bringing these super cool carpenter and also specifically thing memes and posters. Really nice, very sweet, and also I love this, uh, this little written document that you left for us about Fright Club. He never misses them, and we always love to get a chance to see him, so thank you for coming. And also, I have to apologize for last time, because anybody that was here last month, when, <laughs> <laughs> when we showed the uh, horror comedy Deathgasm, and we talked about Conjuring's Gone Wrong, we were, it was the first time using this new podcasting equipment, and it relies on a micro SD card, and somebody forgot to bring that card, so... We didn't get to record the podcast, so apologize for that. Oh, we did have a lot of fun uh, we're showing the movie and talking about it. But that is rectified tonight, so you'll all be part of this podcast. Just really quickly, I can't tell you how happy I am that the technical problem was George's fault this time. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> happy to help. Just happy to help out. Uh, but before that, we do want to say thanks going back to, going back to a couple of months, so what, around Halloween time. We were uh, glad to be invited out to the Bexley Public Library, did a podcast uh, on the horror films influenced by the original Nosferatu, which was great because they showed the original film with a live musical accompaniment. That was fantastic. Oh, it was the coolest thing ever. We also kicked off, uh, we had a couple of bonus episodes of Fright Club that were recorded here at Gateway for this year's Nightmares Film Festival. We recorded their pot, their uh, two Panels. panels, one on social progress through horror, and one on the modern distribution. So those were great. We thank you. Thanks, everybody at, at uh, Nightmares for letting us record those. So that, that pretty much gets us up to date, I believe. I think that it does, yeah. Um, really quick, I wanted to say, so uh, our uh, D-Zach and Pine and Joe, who are usually here with us, and they're not here today, and uh, I assume eventually they're going to listen to this podcast, we just want to let them know, 
and let all of you know they are our favorites. We miss you, and we hope that you guys are doing well. And they're going through a, a tough time right now, and just uh, know that we're thinking about them. Our thoughts are with them, and we can't wait till they're back here. So uh, the crazy thing to think about this is talking about the best John Carpenter movies. It's been what nine years of Fright Club now. We haven't done this yet. I know. How'd that happen? You know, it's funny. So we have done a lot of podcasts over the years, and we were going to show this movie. And I swear to God, this is not a lie. I was going to do facial hair. That was going to be my my podcast topic. And immediately I thought of like 20 that I could not wait to talk about. And George goes, have we ever done John Carpenter? And I was like, <laughs> um, no, that's a better topic. Yeah. So but we'll, we'll get to that. Today. Pencil that in. <laughs> Facial hair and horror. I mean, we've done toilets in horror. We have. We, we gotta, get nitty sometimes. Yeah, I know. It's, we got, got to get around the A lot the of people hair. die on toilets in horror. You'd be surprised. <laughs> but the point is, we finally got around to it today and of course he's an iconic director and so many films to choose from but we have narrowed it down to five we have and to be specific we're only focusing on his horror films so we're not going to talk about any of the movies that weren't horror films although we'll i mean we'll mention for a second a couple that were really influential to horror but we're not yeah. exactly horror films but they didn't make the that's list. right because you got to stay frightful so Naturally. let's start out because we're up against it we got a clock uh, let's start out at number five on our list of john carpenter this is from 1980 an unearthly Fog rolls into a small coastal town exactly 100 years after a ship mysteriously sank in its waters. It is The Fog. It is night. It is cold. It is coming. can hear my voice. Look into the darkness across the water. Look for the fog. John Carpenter's The Fog. What in the living hell is out there? What in the living hell is out there? That was the line. That was the line that made me choose this of the different trailers. That it's we a good go one. With. It's like, what in the living hell? If you haven't seen it, cover yours. It's it's leper pirates. What is it? Leper. It's leper pirates. pirates. Yeah. Wow. All right. And it's it's crazy to think about it now. <laughs> this movie, even though there's, you'd be hard pressed to find any blood in this movie at all, mm-hmm. but it's rated R. Yeah, which is kind of strange actually it is. because the 1980s were pretty. They ran pretty loose with that, but yeah, this one it shouldn't have been honestly. But they didn't have PG-13 in 1980, so were they going to go PG? Got the R, and of course it's got. Adrian Barbeau, DJ Stevie Wayne, and she made our, we, years ago we did DJs in horror, we and did. she was definitely up there. She was number one, oh, clearly. Yeah. Stevie Wayne. And uh, it's also got a role that was originally offered to Sir Christopher Lee. He was going to be uh, Father Malone. Hal Holbrook. Hal Holbrook you is great. You know what? I didn't realize that, and until you said that, I, I loved Hal Holbrook in this movie. And now I'm going, <laughs> oh my God, it could have been Christopher Lee. Yeah, he could have made 990 movies instead That's of 989. Right. This is one that, one funny tidbit about it, it was essentially, even after Halloween, this is still a low-budget, independent movie, but he shot the movie in widescreen Panavision, which is... Because he's John Carpenter. Because he's John Carpenter. That's right. Yeah. It's interesting to think, like you mentioned, when it come, turns out to be leper pirates, that <laughs> sounds very silly. But somehow it works through the fog. I mean, it is creepy when they're coming through there. It is. You know what? I think, so, and also, I, we, Tom Atkins, you just got to say it. 
Um, Tom Atkins. Beloved, and of course, Jamie Lee Curtis. And it's one of 450 movies where Tom Atkins inexplicably gets to bone the hottest human being in the city. <laughs> He's Tom F. I Atkins. You're like, okay, sure. Come on. Of course. And of he course- has your mom's number, by the way. <laughs> um, and his character name in this movie, of course, is Nick Castle. I know. Which is the original actor who played right. uh, Michael Myers in yep. Halloween, which is great. So that is number five on our John Carpenter list, The Fall. You know what, I just want to say really quickly, I think one of the reasons that this movie works as well as it does is actually that the radio station with the woman who's just sort of desperate and broadcasting so somebody can check in on her kid is in a lighthouse. There's something so spectacular. We could do a whole lighthouse podcast as well. Write it down. There's something so spectacularly creepy about that, about the the you know about the the light going around. And, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know what? They're two different things, and yet it's still the two things about it. The two things about this movie that I think are are exceptionally creepy are the lighthouse itself and the light. You know, the the one thing that actually eats through the fog. And then also the idea of this DJ who is stuck where she is and is desperate to figure out if somebody's going to look after her son. I really love those two things. I think that the the rest of the story, it's not one of the best written of his movies. But but especially when you consider the the limited budget, he makes up for it visually in so many ways throughout this whole movie. Totally agree. And check this out. Is this the first time that we've had people sitting in the front row? I don't know. Because we've got a good crowd. Love this front row. (laughs) Welcome. All right. The Fog is uh, number five on our John Carpenter list. That's from 1980. Let's jump to number four. This is 1988. Uh, They influence our decisions without us knowing it. They numb our senses without us feeling it. They control our lives without us realizing it. Let's hear it for They Live. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on the TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletales. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! But I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick. And I'm all out of bubblegum. And I'm all out of bubblegum. That line was ad-libbed. Well, sort of ad-libbed. Roddy Piper had a, a list of things he'd written down that he thought that the character might say. And that went, he, he would say he would as say, a wrestler, yeah. As a wrestler, yeah, and went over him with John Carpenter and got the, got the thumbs up, and that has become obviously an iconic line. And I think this film is a great example of some of the best of John Carpenter that has, and films on this list that we'll talk about, has only grown in stature since it's come out. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love the political underpinnings of this film because, you know, a lot of the movies that he'd made, he was not he wasn't shy to to sort of mix in some of his own personal political leanings, but this movie, it's all about it and it's 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 so effectively put together. Also that mullet, my god. <laughs> That oh my is god! A, it's a great it's glorious. It's the greatest mullet. It's such a good one. I forget what high school was like until I see <laughs> Roddy Piper in this movie, um, and then Keith David, Keith like David. the always perfect Keith David, the He's greatest so great. voice yes. ever. And then and then it's like a it's fully six and a half minutes that fight scene between Roddy Piper and Keith David. And so Roddy Piper made a living prior to this just beating people up, and mm. still you're like. I, my money's on Keith David. But you know what, though? He was fake beating people up, and they they really went at it. Yeah. At, at, they, they only pulled punches, like, to the face and 
and, and maybe to the groin area. But uh, they went at it pretty well. They, they really put their heart into choreographing that scene. Yeah, what'd you say, six and a half minutes? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's iconic. And also, you could probably trace back, you know, people now that we're seeing, you know, The Rock and John Cena, but wrestlers turned actors. I mean, he had to be one of the first, if not the first. Yeah, uh, no, I think that you're probably right. Roddy Piper. And you mentioned the politics of it, too. Roddy Piper was Canadian. And because of that fact, he, uh, John Carpenter actually wanted him to discuss the political leanings of this film on the promotional tour, and he was hesitant to do that since he wasn't a, you know, a born an American. Uh, so he kind of shied away from that, talking about the Reaganomics and all the things that this movie was commenting on. But uh, very much so. I think e even more now, with, the, with hindsight, you go back and watch it, and it's so clear what it was saying. But the thing about it, it's in, it's so smart. I mean, the you know the metaphor is incredible, but the, just the concept with the glasses, it's one of those movies where you think, I can't believe nobody ever thought to do this before. It's yeah. so it's so smart and easy to follow and and effective, and it's such a great vehicle for horror. And I, I love that John Carpenter, the idea of what they really looked like all of a sudden. I mean, it was so great. And also, one of the things from the first time I saw this as a little kid, uh, not that little, actually, as a kid, Meg <laughs> Foster's eyes, you're like, no, she doesn't even need the glasses. Look at those crazy oh, eyes. She's got the most stunning eyes. Doesn't she? I mean, she's got the most beautiful eyes. But still, you're like, she's an alien. Um, the best eyes in a horror movie. Go. Well, that's she's got them. <laughs> she's up there pretty high. We're just writing down a future We're podcast. Just, yeah, that's that's right. all. That's all. Yeah, this is great. I Immediately, I went to like nine different Fulci movies, but that's not what he meant at all. <laughs> no, he's going to gouge them out <laughs> by the time the night is over. Uh, they Live from 1988, number four, which just lets you know there's some good stuff coming up. Number four on our list for John Carpenter. Uh, moving up to number three, and this is one we were talking about in Happy Hour a little bit because it's a favorite for a lot of people. And this is from 1994. Uh, an insurance investigator begins discovering that the impact a horror writer's books have on his fans is more than inspirational. This is In the Mouth of Madness. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. This is a map. This whole thing has been staged. You just get out. This is not reality. It's all happening for real, Trent. <sighs> Two things that come to mind thinking about this movie. Number one, of course, it was the screen debut for Hayden Christensen. <laughs> he plays the paper boy mm -hmm. on the road. But how great is Sam Neill? So great. All the time. We could absolutely do a Sam Neill podcast because he's done like nine different horror But not films, tonight. So no. We don't have time. No. Later. But yeah, he's great in this, and he, he's, you know, he's great in pretty much everything. Another interesting thing about this movie is to... Immediately, and because of the trailer, too, they name-check Stephen King, and you think, well, it's all about Stephen King, but it's, it's more Lovecraft. It's so it's Lovecraft. It's so Lovecraft. It's so Lovecraft. I love that, that it, it kind of marries the two, because that's a marriage I could get behind. I mean, I would go to that wedding right away. <laughs> but also, it's interesting that a, f a horror filmmaker and such an iconic horror filmmaker is making it. The comment is really on how horror fucks you up. 
you know? In and a good I, way. In, well, no, it's really in no way. It's not a good way <laughs> in this movie. And then at the end, he's sitting in the movie theater. Oh, my God, it makes me so happy. That shot of him just laughing maniacally in the movie theater. Yes, is, is, I love that. Is one of the many uh, just iconic images from, from this film. And what I find... I sometimes forget that this is a John Carpenter movie because it doesn't look like one. It looks great, but it doesn't. It it misses so many of sort of the Carpenter esque characteristics that you find in in the rest of his movies. And I I sort of love his '90s work. His '90s films were so different from everything that we had experienced prior to. And this movie, to me, is very different from really anything else that he made mm-hmm. in a great way. And I'm a, I'm a fan of all of his work, but I I love uh, I love the way he stepped outside of his sort of his his tendencies for this movie and i think that what he came up with was just brilliant Mm -hmm. and this is the third film in what he has called his apocalypse trilogy the first being the one we're going to see tonight the thing and the second being prince of darkness and and this one in the mouth of madness and that one gives you a that gives you a different way to think about it if you call it an apocalypse trilogy yes we don't have uh prince of darkness on this list but you can see, see, to me, Prince of Darkness is almost like a, it's an apocalyptic remake of Assault on Precinct 13. That's what it feels like to me. It yeah, was like, yeah. if it was just, if it was Satan instead of like a gang, you know, that was waiting outside and that, I mean, I, I think that that was a really fun, for me, when I saw it the first time, that's the way I looked at it. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw that one into. So it's, it's this quadrilogy. Okay. It's his apocalypse quadrilogy. Okay, we'll see what he, after he listens to this podcast, <laughs> right, we'll see, we'll see what he thinks about that. But uh, it, it's really interesting how it you know, it throws back, you know, like like the trailer said at the end. The text says, you know, loved any good books lately. Sort of meta about the the, the circle of books and movies, and it, like I said, it name checks Stephen King. But even the title, uh, "In the Mouth of Madness," that homages uh, a Lovecraft, Lovecraft story at the Mountains of Madness. Yes. So really, if you break it down, I think it definitely does lean back more toward uh, Lovecraft than Stephen King. But he has fun kind of poking. It's an incredibly fun movie. It is. I mean, it's a, it's a super fun movie, and it is about just losing your mind. And I find films like that are really fun because uh, I think filmmakers, they have such a, a unique, each one interpretation of what that would be like because it's sort of what they personally are afraid of, what their own madness would be like. And I just think that's fascinating to watch. And in case anybody was worried, the car keys that are swallowed when Sam is trying to escape, <laughs> those were made of pasta. So... <laughs> Just to, just to settle that. So that I was is, worried. <laughs> I thought we were going to have to look for them later in someone's stool. <laughs> that is number three, In the Mouth of Madness, uh, 1994. Oh, now we got the, oh, up at the top, it's tough. you got to make some tough decisions. I know. And Are piss people, people off. Yeah, I know it. And that's, that's what we're here for. This is uh, number two on our John Carpenter list from 1978. 15 years after murdering his sister, you know the rest, Michael Myers, Halloween. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Uh, Halloween, of course, the classic. Check this out. A budget of $300,000 over a 17-day shoot grossed $47 million at the U.S. box office. So that would be the equivalent of some $200 million or so today, making it one of the most successful independent films of all time. And its, its influence is probably incalculable. Yes. And I know that we have it as our number two. 
That's only because it's John Carpenter and he is this good at movies. Because, I mean, we love this movie. It's my ringtone. This is a brilliant, magnificent feature film. But there's one that's better. Yeah. Um, I mean, we... Talking about Halloween, you could, you could break it down. We could do a whole podcast just about Halloween. We and should. All, all the ways. We should have it, Brandon on, and he could bring us all T-shirts. <laughs> all the ways that has influenced, you know, the, the entire slasher genre yes. and, and so many different shots and things that, 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 that he uh, perfected. The point of view shot. Incredible. That, oh, my God. Yeah. Just, just I mean, incredible. Sometimes, you know, the necessity, the mother of invention, where they, they had to do things for... For budgetary reasons, even the score, which Carpenter did himself, Glorious. It, it's so minimalistic and so perfect that you you mentioned it's your it's your uh, ringtone. Mm-hmm. All you have to hear is those few notes, and you you, you just get the chills. Uh, it, it's such a classic piece of work, 1978 uh, Halloween. But yes, we had to give the nod to the one that we're going to see tonight at number one from 1982. A research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims, the thing. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? He can beat one of those things! Well, I know we talked to uh, Bob at Happy Hour, and he brought his kids, Holden and Maddie, to their first Fright Club. Welcome. So other than children, any adults who have not seen this movie? Yes. Oh, look at this. Welcome. Wow. I'm well, so excited we're to so watch this We're so excited video. for you. And that is oh great. So we're not going to talk about spoiling anything, but we would love to have you come down after and give us your thoughts. But it's important to note, I think, as we sort of alluded to at the beginning, that when this movie first came out, it was not well-received. It didn't do well at the box office. Critics panned it. And since then, it has become the classic and achieved the status that, that it deserves. Yeah, and I think one of, the things, one of the things I've always found interesting about this movie is it came out the same year as E.T., which was a very different idea. You know, <laughs> very. <laughs> and I always compare the two in my head. Um, and and as you said, we're not going to talk very much about it. But it, in a lot of ways, you're, it always reminded me of the film Alien for a number of reasons. In that it's so claustrophobic. But the thing that I I find magical, like uh, I can't I can't figure out how he does it about this movie, is that it's actually almost all an incredibly open space, and he mm-hmm. he films it so you're aware of how open the space is. And that is more claustrophobic than a spaceship because they can't go anywhere there either. It's a it's an absolutely magnificent movie. And, I, and even I, though we have a 4K restoration, thank yes. you, Chris Hamill and Gateway Film Center for getting this for us. I'm so excited to watch this movie tonight. And even though it was filmed mainly on sound stages in L.A., it makes you so cold. Oh, it does. Yeah. Just watching it. So, so and again, p- facial hair. <laughs> and Keith David. I don't know what more you want. So please, uh, when we're done, we're going to. Come back on and, and record reactions. We'd love to have you come down by the stairway there, and we'll get your reactions. One hour and 49 minutes later. I hope everybody, if you were watching closely, you caught the uncredited cameo. Kurt Russell's hat was played by the monster from Nope. <laughs> How about the all the first-timers? What do you think? Yeah? Digging it? Okay. It's been a while 
since I've seen it, you know, uh, start to finish. But one of the things that struck me was how much it reminded me of the Alien franchise. Yeah. Which y you remember that this came out after Alien, but this was based on a novella from the 1930s, I right. think. Yeah, sure. And, uh, called Who Goes There? And then a movie. Uh, the thing from another world from yes. the 1950s. Yeah. So those ideas go way back, but has a lot of a lot of story beats that mirror the Alien franchise. And it is just an absolute just master class in direction. You know, uh, what, one of the things I love about this movie is how in the very beginning you hate the people in the helicopter. You're like, oh my god, what are they doing? This, this beautiful dog. Yeah. They do such a carpenter such a, a magnificent job of drawing your attention to. How much you hate these people, and and then you know uh, you, you the whole the the group at the camp they're so sketchy from the very beginning, so it's a fascinating way to get us into this movie. Um, and then also I love uh, you don't have a carpenter score the entire time, but from the very beginning the bum bum yeah bum bum you're like oh yeah for sure you know like a lot of the film doesn't scream John Carpenter especially the beginning with all the big outdoor stuff, but mm -hmm. that. The, the score right at the beginning was like, nope, that's what we're watching right now. Apparently, if you listen to some of his interviews, I mean, he, he was really, really crestfallen that this... Right. It, it landed the way it did. You know, it's some, some redemption that now it has gotten over the years such, such the due that it, that it deserves. I still rate it as one of my damn near perfect movies ever. And when I picked up this time on my, like, 402nd viewing... The trainer of the dog needs to be credited because that dog acted so well. Yeah. Yeah, love the dog and love early on, if you notice, when the dog goes into the room, all you see is a shadow. You don't know who who he's going in the room with, which is just is just perfect and sets the stage for the suspicion. Which, you know, that's that's another thing that struck me this time. The more it goes on with the suspicion, it almost gave me a little Agatha Christie vibe. Sure. You know? Yeah. Because everybody has uh, suspicions of everybody else, and it's a mystery, and it's, it plays out just beautifully. I was just, I was just going to say, uh, first time my 15-year-old watched the movie, enjoyed it. Yay. About, about halfway through, he leans over to me and says that it reminds him of a video game. <laughs> Among Us. <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. You know, it's all, it's all inspired by things like that. So, yeah. But he made the connection. I was very proud. Did you have to nice. explain to him about VHS tapes? <laughs> he knows. He knows. <laughs> did, you, did you enjoy the film? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good to know. <laughs> He's a newbie. Ask him if he thinks Charles is infected. Ooh, that's, you know, that's, that's a good question because at the end, people still obviously debate about that. Is, is Childs infected? Or Mac and, and Childs are going to just sit there and wait it out. You know, there are a whole bunch of us who just hope they kiss. <laughs> well played. I, it was interesting. It was different than I thought it was going to be. It was a lot uh, slower, more of a slow burn, but I guess that's not too out of the ordinary for Carpenter. But um, it was uh, it was different. I've, I'd read the uh, novella, actually. I've never seen this before. Um, or I've always wanted to see the uh, the thing from another world, and for some reason I haven't seen that yet. Although I'm, it's, it's on my short list now. Um, but um, uh, I've, I read the novella like in high school a long time ago, 
and um, this was a very different but similar kind of vibe. It's interesting to see how Carpenter uh, shaped it down and kind of um, uh, molded it into something a little different, maybe, while still having the same sort of uh, themes to it, generally. Um, but I also see, you know, some of why maybe critics at the time maybe didn't like it so much. It is kind of cheesy. It has some weird uh, fade-outs that kind of are weird choices. Some of them, like with the dog and the shadow, you kind of realize, oh, well, that that was a good use of that. But s- sometimes they'll just... Fade. Was this a theatrical cut? Is there a longer cut no, this there? yeah, this is the the theatrical cut, and it obviously was a thirty-five millimeter. So I apologize for those who thought we were getting the four uh, K restoration, as I did. But there is something sort of glorious about seeing the original thirty-five millimeter yeah. print. and that's a really interesting take because you had read the novella but hadn't seen the movie. Because I have not read the novella. That's that's One very interesting. Things, I love that. Um, that I love about the difference between Carpenter's take and the original film is that the original film is quite positive. Quite is not nearly as nihilistic mm-hmm. about the Americans as as this film is, and I think that one of the reasons that it didn't go over very well when it came out is that a lot of people were expecting like a very like woo, which is by no means what you get at all. It's in keeping, I think, with Carpenter from the very very beginning. All of his films um, have that sort of uh, cynical nihilistic approach. I have not read the novella. I've seen the original film, which is by no means a nihilistic film. And so I think that was one of the reasons why the movie didn't go over. People had an expectation that was much more positive than the film that they got. Plus, as you mentioned, it came out the same time as E.T., and right. we, were, we were loving Aliens. That's right. That's right. Weren't we? We were tearing up. <laughs> so this is my first time seeing this movie, Woo-hoo! but it is... So it's one of those ones that just took me a really long time to get around to seeing it, and also one of those ones that I knew would show up here eventually. So I figured I might as well see it on the big screen for the first time. Good call. But I'm also uh, familiar enough with this kind of special effects and like moving things because that's what I do as well. Uh, like ring thing. A lot of different stuff. But it was just really uh, cool seeing what I've heard so many people talk about for so long and seeing all the things that are like derivative of this or inspired by this and then seeing how it is originally completely practical. Yes, exactly. And by by the way, shout out to Rob Botton. Oh, for sure, uh, yeah. Special effects, who I believe was 25 years That's old, insane. I think, at the time. Incredible. And yeah, very good point there on practical effects all day. Greetings. Um, I just wanted to cast my vote in support. This is the thing, the best John Carpenter movie. <laughs> Yay! I obviously think so. And um, it was uh, good and to see the list of things. I wish I would have seen Christine in there. That's another one I like a lot. But the mystery is really what gets me, you know? So I really like this one a lot. Thank you for sharing. Nice to see you, Daniel. Uh, yeah, from, from time one to time one million, this movie affects me the same way. And it's the paranoia. It's Because the effects are amazing. The... Uh, but it's ultimately it comes down to the like the suspicion and the paranoia, which is I mean that's what the movie is about. So it, it's just it never loses its effect on me. So it's it's my absolute favorite movie. It really is. Yeah, agreed. And doesn't 
doesn't the the uh, environment just feed that paranoia? The, the cold, you know, you see the breath, which by the way, if you're looking for the breath, that comes into play if you're wondering about childs at the end. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> it just feeds that paranoia. Everybody's so uncomfortable and cold. It's freezing and claustrophobic. And uh, yeah, it, it, the, the environment, the atmospherics, uh, along with the practical effects, just, just great. Uh, yeah, this is the second viewing that I've had of the seen it a long time ago in high school. But what hit me is like since seeing it the first time, um, I read the classic science fiction novel uh, Solaris by Stan Saul Lem. I don't know if anybody's seen that. It kind of makes me feel like the novella was inspired by that. It's an amazing book. It has a lot to do with that paranoia and that alien planet mm -hmm. and these like shapeshifters. Really amazing book, Solaris. And you said earlier about Alien, mm -hmm. um, and obviously it's a film about aliens, but it's set uh, uh, clearly on this planet. But it, it has such, which I love this about, about Carpenter because he was not a sci-fi guy, and he did not make a sci-fi movie. He made a horror movie, but for he, he tapped into what it is about science fiction that is so... Um, sort of full of wonder and fear. Like I, you know, I think if uh, full-on science fiction films are are sort of fifty-fifty, you know, uh, wonder and fear. And he was like, "I'm gonna go seventy-five twenty-five," <laughs> and it was so incredibly effective. Oh, it sure was then, and it sure is now. And thanks again to this fantastic crowd. Cannot. It was what a, what a what a great experience so to watch it not only on the big screen but to watch it with such an enthusiastic and large crowd. So can't thank you enough. Uh, but before we go, did you want to mention anything else? Uh, any other Carpenter movies that we like, just not in the top five? Well, we talked about. I mean, uh, Village of the Damned I think is underrated. Um, mullets galore there as well. I always like Village some of the Damned. Some love for uh, some love for that. Christine, Christine, I actually I hated when I first like the first twenty times I saw it. I it liked has grown it. on me over yeah, the years. I, it's grown on me recently. It's not Carpenter that I don't like in the movie Christine. It's King. It's the Stephen King dialogue I can never get past in that movie and how many times he calls people shitters. I'm like, God, nobody <laughs> says that. But but it has grown on me yeah, over I the years. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. And then, um, uh, honestly, I also hated Vampires. John Carpenter's Vampires, first time I saw it. And it has grown. And maybe it's James Woods. Easy to hate. But it has also <laughs> grown on me over the years. Yeah, but, Carpenter's films do that. Yeah. But we didn't talk about any of his non-horror films, even right. though he made some great ones. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm cool with this list. How are oh, you? Oh, it's good. No, it's solid. But other people are going to be pissed off. So let us know. Let us know what you think. Yeah, you can give us that afterwards. Also, uh, looking ahead to uh, upcoming here on Fright Club. End of the year coming up before we know it. Good Lord. We're making our list now and checking it twice about the best horror of 2022. So we'll Holden have... had some good ideas. Did he? He did. Oh, yeah. good. All right. Um, so we'll have that on the end of the year Fright Club. Also... One that we just recorded a couple of weeks ago, and we're saving it. We're going to talk to Alok Mishra and Naomi Grossman of One BR, One Bedroom, which is uh, we highly recommend if you can check it out. We're going to talk about apartment horror uh, with the two of them. That'll be coming up. Also, Jamie Ray, our buddy Jamie from Fave 5 from Fans, he's going to join us to talk about hotels. And then next month, we'd love to see you all back here for the January edition of Fright Club Live. It's going to be our classic it is this is a movie that i've been hoping to actually to show here for two years trying to get this here for two years it's so weird it's so weird 
And in the most glorious way, if you haven't seen it, please come out and see it on the big screen. It's, it's utterly stunning. It's Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff. Uh, it's a stunning black and white movie, and a Rocky Horror Picture Show owes a lot to the black cat. Come <laughs> out and watch it with us. It's going to be on Friday the 13th. The beginning of our 10th anniversary celebration. Mad Wolf will be 10 years old next year. That is crazy. Speaking of uh, necessity, the mother of invention, it was it was born because the other paper was shut down. That's right. And we decided, you know, we don't want to stop doing this thing. So we launched MadWolf.com t- almost 10 years ago. So we'd love to have you back here Friday the 13th uh, to uh, show the black cat and have a great time. So, man, we thank you guys so much for coming out. Fantastic crowd. We'll edit this podcast down, and it should be live on Monday. You can find it on all your social channels, also at MadWolf.com, and you can always find us uh, on Twitter easily. That's Fright Club Pod. Uh, and also uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. So keep in touch if you can. Fantastic night tonight. Again, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast.